Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 721 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's program, I'll be speaking with Cutter, who has had diabetes most of his life, honestly. We talk about everything. I mean, nothing gets left out from what insulin he's using to stories involving the police getting called and everything in between. You're going to enjoy Cutter. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Have type 1 diabetes or are the caregiver of someone with type 1? Head over to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Fill out the survey. Help people living with type 1. Help yourself. Help the podcast. Takes fewer than 10 minutes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. You know, I've been toying with getting away from the word forward slash, just saying slash. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, though. T1DExchange.org slash juicebox. What do you think? Let me know. Today's episode of the Juicebox podcast has two sponsors. The first one is Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash, the Omnipod 5, and they also have a little thing where you might be eligible for a free 30-day supply of the Omnipod Dash. So, that's pretty cool. You should check that out. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the blood glucose meter that just got used in this house about 45 seconds ago. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Go check it out at ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. You deserve an accurate meter. Hey, Scott. Uh, my name is Cutter. I have been a type 1 diabetic for, hard to say this, uh, 51 years now. I was diagnosed at the age of 2, and I'm 53 now, so that's where we're at. Wow. 1970? Not, yes, sir. 1970. Wow. That's crazy. Also, I was born in 71, so that wasn't difficult for me. Oh, you're my little sister's age, so <laughs> okay. okay. It's all good. I know. Well, it's funny. I'm the oldest. I never even think of myself as like someone's little anything. You know what I mean? For sure. Wow. Real quickly for you, just interesting backstory on that. My dad was also a T1D and he was diagnosed when he was 18. So fast forward to 1970. And as a two-year-old, I'm apparently wetting the bed to an amount that's impressive for an adult. And my dad said, uh, he's diabetic. And my pediatrician told my dad not to uh, get crazy and not to start thinking big just because he was a T1D. <laughs> and they gave me a blood sugar and it was 600. Wow. And the doctor never doubted my dad again. How old do you think your father was at that point? Well, he's 25 years older than me, so he would have been 27. Wow. Okay. 27. So he had a baby at 25, and two years later, it's happening all over again. How? how yeah. Did... And he, yeah. Go, no, go, please. 
No, no, no. Uh, it, I was his second. I'm the middle. So, oh, yeah, okay. back then things were different. He had his first one at 23 and a half. But, yes, it was 25. Needed to get you guys working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how I, I don't want to speak too much about somebody who can't speak for themselves, but how did his life with diabetes go? Is he with us still or did he have trouble? No, he's not. And that's what's interesting. So many things have changed in my lifetime. I thought my dad was a very physical guy. He owned his own construction firm. He was good about health. He was great about that stuff, but he didn't have the education I grew up with. I grew up doing urine tests uh, with a chemistry set, and my dad was before me. So uh, he unfortunately had a bad ride about the last nine years of his life and all of the complications you're told will happen did happen. And he ended up passing in 2000, 2000. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Oh, it yeah. happens. No, two th- How old was he when he passed? 57. No kidding. Wow. Okay. And you, you know, it's funny. I was just, uh, Jenny and I recorded yesterday and I remember saying to her that, you know, just having had diabetes for Jenny's had it for 33 years. She's pretty much lived through every modern version of care. But you've got 17 years on her. That's astounding. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I have so many stories, but uh, I keep in mind, I came along when we first had urine testing where people won't understand this, but we had a little chemistry set with a small test tube and a dropper and some pills. And you would mix ratios of, I believe it was like three drops of urine to 10 drops of water, put in a pill, shake it up and watch the colors change. But the only problem with that is that the urine coming out of your body is like six uh, six hours old. Mm. So any blood test you were getting, you had to do super math for, and then blood testing systems came out and then CGMs came out and now powdered insulin, which is rocking my world. So yeah, we have seen some amazing things. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's funny too, your, your perspective is kind of extra. I think it's extra interesting because 50 years, but you're only not much older. 53. Than yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's like, you know, usually when you meet somebody who says, I've had diabetes for 50 years, they often are in their 70s. And you're by yours, it's very uncommon. Okay. All right. So what is your first kind of like remembrance around diabetes? Like at what age do you think you you start to remember it? You know, I don't have a great memory, but because I've had it since two and nobody remembers things at two, it's been my whole life. So for me, I've got a lot of different stories, but for me, I guess the thing that I I, I do think about the most, I have really bad lows and I have experienced some really bad lows over the years. Part of having it this long, as you know, is oftentimes you can get unawareness. So I will regularly be at, well, when I say regularly, often, sometimes, (laughs) I'll be at 50 talking to you like I'm talking to you right now. Right. But you don't have any feeling, not even like that, like odd, I'm going to be lower feeling or nothing at all. Nope. I mean, it depends. Everything varies. It's day to day. But uh, just just on Saturday night, I had a phone call with another 
T1D friend of mine, and he was at 43. And we were talking like you and I are talking right now. Hmm. So it just happens. The only problem is when you have unawareness, you go from fine at 50 and next thing you know, you're 35 and you you can't fake it through 35. Yeah, yeah. And and for clarity, you're not faking it at 50. It's just you no, have no, no symptoms, no symptoms whatsoever, even when other people witness you. So you've been in a situation where somebody else is with you you're 50 and they don't know there's anything wrong. Uh, no, I will. See, yes, that is true. But oftentimes I do have some tells and I think everybody has their own. But if I start to not understand you, if I'm working with you or something mm-hmm. and you have to repeat a simple process two times, that's when people are generally Hey, you, you need some sugar. You okay? Okay. okay. <laughs> so you have a deficit. You're just unaware of it. Yes, sir. Got yes, it. Sir. Okay. All right. I understand. Okay. Um, but then the next problem becomes is that the step after that going lower is incapacitation of some kind and an inability to help yourself. And so you don't know that's happening. So CGM technology must be, I mean, if I ask you to put them all in order, this is the greatest thing that's happened in your life. Yeah, for sure. That, and I don't know, because I'm new to the, I don't want to name any brands, but the inhalable insulin is, it feels to me like the biggest thing that's ever happened. But CGMs are amazing. Ever since I've had my CGM, those super lows rarely, rarely happen now. That's excellent. When we can say, I don't mind you saying, so you mean a Fresa? I don't know how they say it. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's it. It's a Fresa. A Fresa. And it's it's just like you you huff it. It's just like in an inhaler, right? That's all. Like yeah. somebody that has asthma, you inhale it through your mouth, and it gets into your blood. And uh, forgive me, I'm not exceptionally technical with all of the stuff, but mm. it it's mind blowing. It's it, you know how when fast acting insulin. I grew up on beef and pork insulin, which mm. was the animal insulin, and that takes a while to get working in your body. Then they came up with human insulin and we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And now a Fresa, this stuff, you suck it down, your blood sugar lowers in like 30 minutes. It, it, it's, it's mind boggling. Hmm. How long have you been using it? I've only been using it about a month, so I'm still in the honeymoon phase right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I have to tell you, Cutter, like, the reason it doesn't come up on the podcast more often is because it's it's fairly new in the in the life of a, of a drug, and it's inhalable, and that throws me for a loop. Like, I don't, I, I don't say there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying it's going to hurt anybody. I, I obviously don't know. I'm not a doctor. I certainly haven't studied inhalable insulin, but it, it's, it's enough of a, of a, of a brain worm to, to pause you when you think about it, like, wow, you're going to inhale it. It's going to go in through your lungs. Like, is that okay long-term? And I, I'm sure they have data, you know, over many years now, but I think that the bottom line is, is that that would be a tough lift for me to, to turn to my daughter and say, Hey, inhale this. And so in my mind, until there's way more time, I guess with people using it, I'd have a hard time, I would have a hard time suggesting to my daughter to use it, but I understand why anybody would. I mean, the idea that like you basically have a high blood sugar that with a liquid insulin, you'd have a tough time bringing down and you just kind of like puff, puff this stuff. And a half an hour later, your blood sugar is stable. It doesn't get lower. It just goes to where you kind of 
more want it to be or can it get low? Well, oh, no, 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 for sure it can. And I'm finding, and first of all, let me get back to, I don't think that your fear is unfounded. And in fact, I think it's pretty smart. I think I also had the same concerns. I have a circle of T1D friends that I've known forever. And whenever something like this does come up or a new treatment or whatever, I'll talk to them because I think I'm like you. I'm the guy that's 10th in line. I'm not the guy that's first generally. And I spoke to two of my friends about it and they talked about it like I'm speaking to you about it right now. And because I have such faith in them, I was like, oh, okay, I'll give this a try. try. And I have loved it. Now, neither of them know either about the long-term effects, but they're both super educated guys. And I I took their faith. I took their word on faith and it has worked out so far for me. I wish you a lot of luck with it. So you're just basically shooting a, a basal insulin and then using the inhalable for meals and corrections. Is that right? Yes, sir. But I also do take uh, Admalog too. I, I still inject. Oh. It's just that the, the Afreza for me is more of a, it, at, like you suggest, an immediate meal thing. If I'm going to have a meal it, it, they come in three different doses. I sound like a spokesman for no, Fresa, uh, but they come in three different doses. Each there's there's three different cartridges strengths: twelve units, eight units, and four units. Mm-hmm. And I was advised, and this is a little bit of a mind bump, that they're about half as strong as liquid insulin, meaning when you take an eight inch, uh, an eight unit dose, you're only taking four units of injectable insulin. I will tell you from my perspective, I don't, that, that doesn't work that way for me. My body chemistry appears to be that eight feels like 10. Oh, wow. Uh, it is super powerful for me, but that may not be the case for everyone. Interesting. Do you take it before you eat, like in a pre-bolusing situation, or do you take it as you eat or after? How does that work? I take it as I, or, you know, right before, like if I'm going to eat, I'll take, let's say we're eating at noon, we sit down at the table, I'll huff it at noon and then the food comes, but you have to, you, it's not like the injectable insulin. We're used to that. People that inject taking your insulin right at the top before you eat. And even then you're going to be behind and this stuff it starts working in 15 minutes. I mean, crazy working. Okay. And I don't mean that to scare people. I'm just saying, if you take it at noon and you're not eating until 1230, that's going to cause an issue. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, that's very interesting. I appreciate you explaining that to me. Um, yeah. And I appreciate you having perspective of of what what seems so impactful. Tell me, uh, be, and, I'll let, and we'll get past this then, but when, when you say it's impactful, it's not because you're not injecting, right? It's the speed that it works at. Is that what you find? Exactly. Great question. Okay. Uh, because people since then have found out, oh, you must be so excited. You don't have to take shots anymore. I don't care about shots. Shots are my life. I don't feel shots. So that's not a big deal. But exactly what you're saying, being able to take it at noon and have it work within 15, 20 minutes, that's mind blowing for me. I understand. I really do. Okay. Well, you've said a couple of times just in, in a short amount of time that you have a lot of stories. 
And I feel like there's a reason I that you reached out initially. What's the, the when you first reached out, you had had a problem with law enforcement. Am I remembering this correctly? Yes, sir. You you most certainly are. First of all, I just want to say that my respect for the police is through the roof, as I know yours is. Yeah. I am not here to speak negatively of the police. That that is not what I mean at all. But I, I think training for people that are professionals in that regard really needs to pick up a very long time, not very long time, about 20 years ago. I had a low blood sugar here in my apartment, and it was one of those where what we talked about earlier, you know, I was 60, and then next thing I knew, I was 30, and I was in trouble, and it was just one of those perfect storms where I didn't have anything in the house. We've all been there. So I decided to get into my car and drive down to the gas station and get a Coke or something. I got into my car, I pulled out of my parking space and realized at that point, dude, you should not be driving. Mm. Uh, I live in a very busy area, so my parking space was taken before I was even out of it. And so I just, I turned off the car. I said, you know what? This is a problem. If I drive, I'm in trouble. I don't want to hurt anybody. So I'll just turn off the car and someone will help me. Next thing I know, (laughs) I'm on my face in a pool of blood. And I apparently had gotten so low, I passed out in the car. Somebody called 911. The police showed up and not knowing any better, even though I was wearing a bracelet, they took me out of the car, uh, must have quizzed me or whatever. I obviously didn't pass any tests. Then they handcuffed me behind my back and let me go. And I blacked out, fell face first, landed on my forehead, the top of my nose, my upper lip, and was out. Fast forward a couple minutes, one of my neighbors, good friend of mine, is coming down the sidewalk, sees me in the pool of blood, and starts screaming. He's like, what happened? What happened? Well, all the officers were together, you know, talking, trying to find out what to do, and They told him, stay away. He's under the effect of either alcohol or drugs back off. And he he said, he's a diabetic. And the officer said, well, how are we supposed to know that? And my friend said, you had to move his medic alert bracelet to cuff him. (laughs) And so they then one of the and I mean, this is a great dramatic story 20 years later, but then one of the officers came over and apparently felt my neck and said to the other police officers, I'm not getting a pulse. Well, he just must have not felt it. So my friend starts going crazy. The ambulance comes. I have a pulse. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was a lot of physical damage done as a result of that. I imagine falling forward on your face without protecting yourself is not great uh, at all. Wow. Do you remember any of the situation? Do you have any conscious memory of it? I don't. I remember waking up in the hospital, being surprised, being like, what happened? Uh, I I knew I had the low, but I didn't recall it at the time. It was imagine blinking your eyes and opening them up in a hospital room. It was that fast. It was crazy. Right, right. And you were obviously low enough when you thought to get into your car that 
more common sense ideas. Like I could knock on my neighbor's door and ask them for something like you were beyond being able to make those decisions at that point. Yes, sir. I just didn't. I just figure. And again, keep in mind, I think I'm okay. Okay. I know I'm low, but I think I'm, I'm like, oh, I can get down to the gas station. I do it all the time. And yeah. So, wow, that's crazy. Also, Cutter, uh, you're only like two years older than me. If you keep calling me, sir, it's going to freak me out. Uh, I'm sorry. It's a term of respect. I know it is, but I, I don't deserve your respect like that. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So that's, so what happens after something like that? Does someone apologize or does it just act, do people act like it doesn't happen? Is there any, I mean, this is 20 some years ago, right? But still. Yeah. Uh, no, no, there is no apology. And I understand I don't know how I feel about it, but there, no, there is no apology. It involves, it, it involves taking it to court is yeah. what it involves. And, you know, I think an apology would have worked, but um, yeah. So no, there was no apology. There was no reaching out. In fact, what I was even more surprised by no police officer came to the hospital after realize, and I don't mean to visit me. I mean to follow the ambulance and find out what happened to me. And that was a little bit weird. Yeah. So I feel like you were about to say something and you stopped yourself. Were you going to say, I can kind of understand not apologizing because then it's admitting liability and it opens you up further. From well, there. I just mean now again, this is 20 years ago. We live in a world today where a policeman can't look at you without getting a complaint. And mm-hmm. I get that. But I think they deal with so many things. Yes. The short point is, yes, you're right. I believe that if you do admit you're wrong, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of trouble. So, yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. No, it's a weird position. It's funny. You're you're so like you have a lot of hindsight on the on the situation, obviously, um, because you're very even minded about it, even just when you're explaining what's happening, like, because you can really like you could flip around to the other side and say, I wonder how many, you know, um, inebriated people that they deal with in a day. And you probably looked exactly like all of them. And it probably just becomes commonplace for them. It's, you know, I hate to say it, but their jobs are probably no different than somebody who works on an assembly line after a while. I mean, it shouldn't be like that, but I can see how it could get like that. Um, yeah. And, and that's the example I always give uh, you, perfect example you gave. I always say I was probably the hundredth drunk guy they arrested that day. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I, I agree with you. That's crazy. Um, I appreciate but, you sharing that. But they missed the bracelet. Yeah. I know. How do you, how do you, they had to, my friend was right. They had to move the bracelet to handcuff me. And that's what angered me. Yeah, no, I would, I mean, listen, any, any way you decide to feel after this is over is completely justified. <laughs> you, you know, you've got, you've got carte blanche to feel any way you do. So w- what did you end up doing or did you do nothing? Uh, no, I, I'm not really at liberty to discuss it, but it did go to court and I was, my medical, co- my medical issues were all covered. Gotcha. Okay. So it's fair to say that after you do something like this with the municipality at some point when it's um, when it comes to a resolution, you agree not to talk about it publicly. Like with the, well, I, I had, I had signed. And I mean, I know it's a long, long time ago, but I had signed an NDA. So I'm not going to name anybody or any, uh, and truth be told, I don't know any names. Oh, I wouldn't. I just, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, I just wanted to understand what like what the hesitation was, but that makes sense. Oh yeah, sure. That was it. That was that's the reason for the hesitation. Cutter, I signed so many NDAs in the course of the year. <laughs> there are times when I'm talking and I'm like, I I'll, I'll say a lot. I'm like, I'm not even sure I'm allowed to say this. So <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, how you feel. I'm with you. <laughs> it's very like it really does stop you in your tracks. Like I think I agreed legally not to mention this. <laughs> <laughs> So no, it's been it's been what twenty three years now for that event. So I'm like, eh, if they want to come after me, I hope they don't. But I, well, I think we're okay. No, I, I think you, you you explained that. I mean, you didn't you did listen. We don't know where you live. You didn't use anybody's name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you're safe. Although it would be partially horrifying and partially hilarious if they came back to you after a podcast. You're like, we need that money back now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, good luck. Here's a rock. Squeeze it. <laughs> See if you can't get blood out of this stone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you have such a good attitude about all this, do you think? I think it's because I'm lucky that I've had it since I was two years old. I always say it's the only life I've ever known. Mm-hmm. I have friends. I have a, a dear friend who got it when he was 10. And that to me is scary Because if I had, and I know that at 10, you can absorb anything, but if I had 10 years previous to that of eating normal and just being normal, let's say, to have to make that change at the age of 10 or 13 or whenever you have to make it, I I consider myself super lucky because it's the only thing I've ever known. I understand. I really do. I I often think that... um my daughter might benefit from that. She was also diagnosed it too. So, Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I also, uh, I, I often think like, cause she's got a very matter of fact attitude about diabetes. In fact, there's an episode with her, uh, the very first time she ever came on here and people really got to hear, I mean, she's 17 and also just very, I don't know. She's very matter of fact about having diabetes. And, uh, Oh, that is so awesome. And I'm sorry that that happened to you, but, um, I, you know, she I, and look at me, 51 years. If you saw me on the street, you would have no idea. My doctors say that I'm in great, incredible shape. And I have not always been the super diabetic. And truth be told, I certainly am not now. <laughs> but uh, if I can make it this far with all of the extra things we have, your daughter's going to live to be 190 wow. uh, because I have not been good about it. And it's so great that, that with everything that they have now. It is certainly interesting how it can almost like a tornado, like, you know, pass one house and go to the next one kind of thing. You, you know, like some somebody like you can say, oh, I did. You know, I did all right, but I wasn't you know, I wasn't always great and I'm fine. And there are other people who can have your same exact story and they're just they're they're devastated, you know, like physically. It's it's it really is. Boy, it seems kind of random coming out of that old time management style. Like some people just it just worked for them. And, you know, it's um, it just it, you know, no, it's, it's fascinating to me that 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 everybody can have such different. I don't know, outcomes coming through something. Yeah. And you know what? Thank you for making that point because you're right. Just because I've turned out okay doesn't mean that I don't have a twin, but doesn't mean that my twin brother would too. Yeah. Um, You know, you're right. Everybody's different. Are you married or have you been? Do you have children? I'm not. Nope. I am single, lifelong bachelor. uh, So I I don't have any of that. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering if if we would see more 
um, diabetes in your in your family line going forward. Do you have any other autoimmune issues besides type one? Yes, I also have um, gluten. What the celiac? Uh, celiac. Yes, sir. I okay. also have celiac, which I've been told is related to T1D. Well, yeah, it's an autoimmune disease, and they do sometimes seem like they travel in in groups or pairs. At the very least, do you uh, abide a, a gluten free diet or? Yes, I certainly do. I do. I was diagnosed probably about eight years ago. I had dropped uh, about 40 pounds and thought, uh uh-oh, I've got something. Mm. This is it. It's the end. And uh, I went to a bunch of different doctors. And in college, that's 25 years ago, a college doctor had told me, I think you're allergic to wheat. And because I was in college and knew everything about the universe, I laughed and said, come on, man, I eat sandwiches all the time. And uh, (laughs) fast forward 20 years and a doctor said, no, 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 you're you're definitely allergic to wheat. They did the tests and all that. So, yeah. When you were younger, what kind of an impact did it have on your was it like or, or does it does it take hindsight now of being gluten free to see what was happening or were you? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I had gluten people with celiac, it's a lot like T1D where, where different people can have different experiences. One of, and again, please keep in mind, I might be wrong here. So forgive me if I am one of the side effects of celiac disease is something called dermatitis herpetiformis, which is uh, outbreaks that you have. And I started getting those as a kid and they can be on your face. They can be on your arms. And as a teenager, that's a nightmare, but it was, it was a result of the celiac disease. So that, that was interesting to find out. So that, that was the biggest problem for me as a kid. I didn't have any gastrointestinal problems. Some people eat wheat and they feel it right away and they get really sick. I don't have any of that. I could eat a full pizza right now and I wouldn't feel it. I'm very fortunate. Okay. I'm not finding the, um, the syndrome that you're talking about though. I, I must. Uh, dermatitis herpet. It's just, I mean, we called it a rash growing up. And again, I could be wrong about the technical term of it, but, or the, the scientific name of it. Um, it like, it's like little, like, I don't even know how to describe it. I guess like poison ivy or ra- uh, bubbles that okay. then if they break, they turn into a sore. It is not a pretty uh, side effect. And you had it, you have it when you're exposed to gluten? Yeah. And I haven't had it for, you know, eight or nine years now, but I had it from up until I was nine years ago. Uh, And not all the time, not every single day, but it would come in batches. And because it was from wheat, well, there's gluten in everything. So I I couldn't make a rhyme or reason. I would travel through life and I would say, all right, you know what? I'm going to stop drinking beer because maybe it's beer. And then I would stop drinking beer and it would go away and I would think, oh, hey, it was beer. (laughs) And then (laughs) it would come back and I would think, well, maybe it's carrots. Uh, like I had, had I no idea it was trial and error the whole way. Yeah, there's too much data, too many different possible variables. You, you would never have known to just eliminate an entire section of like 
like gluten, something that covers so many different foods and drinks and everything. I see. Well, that's interesting. And so what happened is, you, what made you finally listen to the doctor? Age? Age and the weight loss and all. And he was a super great doctor, I'll tell you. He And I told him, I said, man, over the last 30 years, I have heard everything. And he said, well, what have you heard? And I listed off the things, you know, and I don't remember in what order or whatever, but I said, the punchline was, I even had one guy tell me I was allergic to wheat. You believe that? And uh, <laughs> he was a dermatologist. He he grinned a little bit and he's like, I, I think there's some weight there. And then we did the test and all that. So by me saying that cut out, probably, I don't even know how long of trial and error from the physician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the weight loss, I mean, uh, you lose that much weight. You think, Oh God, I have cancer, right? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I thought. Yeah. And then you're just like, I just can't eat bread anymore. And I cut, Oh, perfect. I'll take that over what I thought was happening. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Did you find it hard to adjust your diet? Yes, I will tell you that at first, but you know what? I'm not a food guy. I'm not a, I'll eat uh, as long as it's in front of me, I'll eat it. I'm really not fancy. So maybe it would affect somebody more who's a big foodie who really enjoys different tastes of things. Uh, For me, I thought it was going to be a nightmare, but like anything in life, Once you do it, once you lock in and do it for a month, it just becomes normal. Yeah. You made me think of the other day, I, I kind of, I smoked a turkey breast just to, and, and I sliced it up and I I had something else with it and I ate it for lunch yesterday. And later in the day, Arden said to me, what are you going to have for dinner? I was like, I was just going to eat more of the turkey. (laughs) Just like, I, like, I don't, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't need a big presentation or like, I'm just hungry and I need to eat something. Um, you and me both. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's interesting. great. So you were so you, you were able to, and it's been eight years now. Yeah, wow. uh, it's at least eight, maybe nine. I don't know. Did the weight stay off, or did you put it back? Well, I, it did stay off. I got lucky that it stayed off for a little bit, but then once I learned how to eat again, uh, it came back. But <laughs> then I lost it again, and now I'm at a good place, so I'm happy. That's excellent because I find that, um, you know. You hear people say, oh, there's plenty of gluten-free options, but a lot of times they can be very processed, too. And then they're... Well, and a lot of times they're crazy expensive. Yep. Crazy expensive, but yes. Interesting. Wow, it's amazing. Um, Okay. Any more crazy stories other than fell on your face after being handcuffed or... Well, I mean, there's, there's so, there's just so many, the, the thing, well, I'll tell you what, interesting, just this week, just this week, I had a horrible flight back, uh, to, from my home, I was home visiting and every time I fly, what I do is I will buy food for the flight crew and uh, I provide a note, an informational note that just says, Hey, I'm a T1D and I do it in a fun way. It's humorous. And I say, I'm a T1D. I do not drink. I don't take drugs. So if you see me acting like I am drunk or on drugs, I'm probably just having a low blood sugar. And then I tell them, I just say, hey, all I need is some Coke. I just say it easy for them. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Give it to me in about 15 minutes. I'll come around. I'll be good. Everything will be good. But I made a mistake this time that I was unaware of. I have uh vaccine do you know what that is 
Uh, yeah, it's the nasal glucagon. It's like glucagon. Uh, it's inhalable glucagon. Yep. And I had some, and it's it's just like a Frezza, only instead of sucking it in through your mouth, you just blast it into your nose, one blast like like a nasal drops. Right. And, uh, and in the note, I said, hey, if I'm blacked out, worst case scenario, which will never happen and never has I say that two or three times. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is squirt this into my nose and I'll be good in 15 minutes. Well, <laughs> normally I do that when I get on the plane. I carry the food, a little bag of food that I'm giving them with the note, and I hand it to the lead crew member. And they always thank me after post-flight. They're always so wonderful. They say, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us, blah, blah, blah. Well, this time I made the mistake and gave it to the gate attendant pre-flight they i looked over and saw her reading the note with a look of concern and then she called over two people and then there were five and they were all reading the note looking at me like i was some kind of troublemaker and i was like what is going on here well they had a very large crew member come over and let me know that if something, and in a very pleasant manner, by the way, certainly not negatively, he let me know if anything did happen to me on the flight, they would not be administering the uh, Baxemi. Okay. And I said, okay. And uh, he said, okay. And I, and I get that. They're not doctors. I totally get it. So we get on the plane and normally the exact opposite happens. They'll give me a little more attention. I don't like it, but I get it. Mm-hmm. They're they're very nice and they'll just check and they'll be like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. Cool. Thank you. Well, this time I was completely ignored for six and a half hours. Uh, nobody looked at me. Nobody talked to me. They came by with food. They offered it to my neighbor. They didn't offer it to me. It was very strange. And <laughs> post-flight, I asked the lead crew member and I'm like, Hey, just out of curiosity, what happened? Um, why did that gentleman tell me they wouldn't administer the medicine if I blacked out? And he was very cool again, very nice. He said, well, you have to understand we're not doctors. And I'm like, no, I get that. I fully understand that. And then (laughs) this is where it got weird. He's like, look, you have to imagine if you needed help using the toilet, we're not going to help you use the toilet. And automatically, I sound like a nice guy with you internally. I get angry pretty easy. And I'm like, wait a minute, are you comparing giving me a blast in my nose to having to help me use the toilet? And uh, then he equated it also. He's like, no, we wouldn't do that. He's like, you should bring an aid with you when you fly, if you're going to. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was it it was rough. And then he said, believe me, I understand. I'm just like you. I'm a type two, too. And I'm like, no, no, I'm type one. And he was like, oh, oh. Oh, that's serious. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they were great. Again, I I realized they're not doctors, but I said to him, I'm like, well, what if someone's having a heart attack and you give them treatment? That's an emergency situation. And he said, yeah, but that's different. (laughs) And so I didn't want to fight. I just said, okay, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. He was really pleasant. Yeah. Just, they were just confused. 
That's all. Yeah. yeah, they were confused. They didn't understand. Instead of coming to you and saying, hey, this, you know, they should have had that conversation first with you, not at the end of the flight, at the beginning. And you could have clarified and said, oh, no, this is what I meant. Or, you know what I mean? Like, put it on yourself a little so they don't get all, like, you know, sometimes people get uptight if they if you feel like you're coming back at them. And you just say, hey, you know, what I meant was, I'm not going to pass out. I really, this never happens. But just in case it does, here's an easy way out of this. And um, oh, that's interesting. How long was the flight? Long, right? It, it was super long. Uh, yeah, it was six hours and 20 minutes. Hmm. Oh, geez. Well, I'm glad nothing happened. And normally yeah, 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 you, nothing fly, did. you fly fine usually, right? Oh, I've never had a problem. Uh, I've been flying for since I'm 12 years old. It was my first flight. Yeah, I've never had an issue. Cool. Well, that's amazing. Maybe I could do an ASMR podcast if this thing ever goes to hell. I just make a bunch of noises into a microphone. Probably not. Hey, contournext.com forward slash juice box is the place you go to learn about Arden's blood glucose meter. A tiny, easy to hold, easy to see, bright light second chance test strip having blood glucose meter that is super duper accurate. And super duper accurate is a technical term. Look it up. I don't want to get too far off the track here, but after I said that, I Googled super duper accurate because, I mean, obviously it's not a real like technical term, but boy, a lot of people have Googled this. Why is that super duper accurate? What does super duper accurate mean? Someone actually Googled those words. I think it means you're a moron, but and no, no. You, Listen, we're getting off the beaten path here. But anyway, uh, super duper, this is great. Duper means very, making the super sound even stronger. In this case, it means something absolutely awesomely super accurate. Now, if you can't believe a Google return from 2016, who are you going to believe? Anyway, the Contour Next One blood glucose meter is actually incredibly accurate. It is also easy to hold and easy to use. And to be perfectly honest, without any like joking around. It's my favorite blood glucose meter that Arden has ever had. It's just, there's no bull. It, it really is great. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. You can learn more there, buy it online, see how much the test strips are going to cost you. Um, find out if this stuff is cheaper through cash than it is through your insurance, or if you should just go through your insurance. Uh, there's a ton of information there at contournext.com forward slash juice box. I, um, I don't know if me calling it super duper accurate is like, okay. So let's just, everybody remember, I was just joking. It's just super duper in my mind. Technically speaking, uh, I don't know if we can completely trust Isabel 2's response from November 17th, 2016 on the internet. But she seems to know what duper means. I might look up duper at the end of the podcast, see if she was right. Well, I'm sure Omnipod's thrilled about how I went on because now I have to go really fast with their ad. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Head over there right now. See if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. I'm going to type it into the machine right now. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. All kinds of things going on here, including a photograph of me that I'm not completely comfortable with. But that's just because I don't like the way I look in pictures. Do you think Omnipod's happy now that I've said I have to rush through their ad? Now I'm talking about my feelings about being photographed? Eh, probably not. <laughs> Omnipod 5 is here, everybody. 
the first tubeless automated insulin delivery system. Omnipod 5 is the first and only tubeless automated insulin delivery system to integrate with the Dexcom G6, and it's now available for people with type 1 diabetes ages 6 years and older. Their smart adjust technology in the pod, that's where it is, delivers based on your customized target glucose, helping to protect against highs and lows day and night. Check it out at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you don't want automated insulin delivery, get yourself the Omnipod Dash, which by the way, you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of. That you can also find out at the link. It's a big purple box. It says, want to test drive the pod? Question mark. Yeah, can't miss it. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. See if you're eligible for that free 30-day trial. I am now contractually obligated to say for full safety risk information and free trial terms and conditions, you can also go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box forward slash juice box. We let's get back to the show. You know, you mentioned a couple of different times you've spoken to people who have type one diabetes, and I wanted to know um, more about the importance of finding community, whether it's a person or 10 people or a thousand people and and how, if it has been helpful to you, how it has been? It's been pretty wonderful. I'm a pretty private guy. I'm certainly not embarrassed about diabetes, not in any way at all. But it, I don't lead a conversation with that. Mm-hmm. I don't come in, oh, hey, Scott, I'm Cutter. I'm a diabetic. You know, yeah, <laughs> nobody sure. nobody does that. So, uh, but the disease itself, in fact, I even have a hard time calling it a disease. I don't think that it's impairs me, but I know it does. But um, the hard part about it is, is that so many people have somebody they know that's a diabetic, but they're often type two. So there's so much misinformation out there. Nobody really knows about it or understands it or everybody's got a cousin, by the way. Oh, my cousin's a diabetic and he was treated himself horribly. And and you're like, Oh, geez, I'm sorry to hear that next. Uh, So uh, having a community of people you do know that have had shared experiences with you is important. Case in point, have a Facebook group that I belong to that are just dear friends of mine. And we had a posting the other day, I posted a picture of an insulin uh, syringe packet that says single use only. And because so many of us use a needle over and over again, I'm not saying it's healthy, but we all do it. I took a picture of it and just said, hey, does anybody else follow these directions like I do? And I got a lot of replies back saying like, I change my needles once a year. And but they were jokes. You know, the next person was like, I use them until they bounce off my arm. (laughs) And they were just a lot of funny. And I thought about reading that from a non knowledgeable person's perspective and they would think what is happening with these people but we get it because to us we understand it so i think having a community of people who understand the things that happen to you is is super helpful so not having to explain things that you intrinsically understand is just i I imagine lightning right It, it just it takes a weight off so much okay well that makes sense um, you find these people easier online than in person, or do you have a mix? 
Well, these are guys that I know person. They're got, we all went to, <laughs> it's going to sound funny, but we all went to a diabetic summer camp together. So we've been friends since we're 10 years old. So these are personal friends. They're not people that I, they're not strangers that I met in a support group. And Hey, that's great too. I'm fortunate enough to know all these guys personally. So when, when this is happening or when a phone call is made or whatever, I don't feel embarrassed or, or weird about talking about it because you've been my friend for 40 years. I was going to say, how long have you, like, when was that summer camp? For me, uh, I went when I was seven years old, my first summer. So that was 75. Wow. You know, you still know those guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's like college. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I know there are people who absolutely adore diabetes camp. Like it's just, I mean, the people it's right for, it's really, really right for. I, um, we've mentioned it to my daughter a couple of times. She looks at us like we're crazy. So I think, but, but I think if I asked her to go to a camp for anything, she'd look at the same. I don't think it has anything to do with it being diabetes. I think she's not a, and I think she's not a camp person, but I, but I've heard so many great stories from people who have had just experiences like yours, just lifelong, amazing experiences. Well, and keep in mind too, when I was seven, I didn't have a choice. It was my parents saying, we think this would be great for you. And I had my homesick and I probably had that, I don't know, three days in. And then once that third day was over Every summer for the next, I don't even know how long I went. I probably went eight or nine years. Uh, I really looked forward to it. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun for me. Can I ask you a question disconnected from diabetes? Why are you so good sure. at this? You're very, I'm sorry. You're very good at this. Why are you so good at this? Why are you like, there's no pauses. You have your thoughts. You're, you're building your thoughts as you're talking. Um, you're good in the conversation. Like you're, there's no weird pauses. Like, do you do something like this for a living or as a hobby or something like that? No, I just have a real big mouth and you can't shut me up. So <laughs> you're <laughs> you're on the positive side of it. I'm sure if we were talking about something you didn't care about, you'd be thinking, oh, will you please just shut the F up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've just been really, I mean, there there are times when people pause or they consider their thoughts for a second, um, but you've been clear. And even when you've gone down sort of a, a flight of fancy during a conversation, you come back to the question every time you don't get lost. And I just thought maybe you did this or spoke to people for a living or something like that, but you should. Uh, Nope. I I don't Thank you. That's very kind to hear. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's amazing. I just uh, communicating like this is not natural to begin with. So, um, you know, we don't see each other and, you know, just you're perfect on the pauses and everything. I'm not stepping on you. You're not stepping on me. It's been very pleasurable talking to you. Um, thank you. Well, yeah. that's a nice thing. <laughs> you, you might be the first one to say that. Thank you. <laughs> You're saying if we met somewhere else and start, exactly start talking about I'm that different. guy, <laughs> I'm that guy you're sitting in the next booth at the restaurant and you're like, Oh Jesus. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to move, honey. This guy's not going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, you live by yourself. I do. Okay. Does anyone follow your Dexcom? Anyone in your life? Uh, I don't have a Dexcom. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's Is okay. That Libra? Uh, 
I have freestyle. Okay. I use okay. a freestyle sensor. I still inject and use the uh, Freza, but my physician follows all that stuff. I don't have any, but I don't have a tandem person like a mate or a friend that follows that stuff. I'm sure I could share that with any of my friends. It's just not something that I have ever done. I don't know how Libre works, so I'm not certain that you could or you couldn't, but I was just trying to get at, um, what it's like to live alone with diabetes. Is it frightening ever? It's not frightening. It's weird. I have had some super lows where getting to the fridge and any T1D, I think will have had this experience sadly, or I should say anybody my age that's older Um, getting from the bedroom to the refrigerator that might be 15, 20 feet away when you're unable to walk is, it can be a bit scary. Mm -hmm. And that has been, so that's been a nightmare at uh, a few times. And again, dramatic when I say nightmare, but it's pretty scary when you're, you know, six feet away from the fridge and you don't know if you can make it that that's a little bit scary. Yeah. And there's no one else there. No, and you're crawling on your belly. You know, Uh, I don't say that for pity. I'm just saying it's a reality and it doesn't happen often. That's a very, very, it's only happened to me once to Mm -hmm. tell you the honest truth, but it was, it was. And then when you do grab the bottle of whatever you have in your fridge, trying to get it unscrewed and into your mouth. So 80% of it goes on the floor as opposed to into your body. that, that, That gets weird. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine actually. Um, has it ever been an issue for you at your job? One time I did, uh, one time I did pass out at a job that I was working at. Oh, I'll give you a good one. I, when I was 18 years old, I moved out to California and I wanted to work at Disney and I went there to try to become a character. Now this is great. It's hilarious in hindsight. I got super low, so low that I knew I needed to treat it. So I got up and I went to look for a Coke machine. And next thing I knew, I woke up on my back and I'm not kidding you, Snow White and three of the dwarves in costume are leaning over me. (laughs) So when my eyes and an EMT was there putting sugar into me, but so when I opened my eyes, the first thing I saw was Snow White and three dwarves and it it's one of the funniest stories that I have. <laughs> so, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> well, they could have just kept you a little low and made you goofy. You would have been fine. <laughs> just, you know, Absolutely. Just the 52 blood sugar and send Cutter out there. Um, <laughs> he's going to be perfect. That's that's crazy. I My gosh. I, I have to ask you, so because you're coming from a different perspective, you know, how do I mean this? I find very often, well, I'm trying to figure it out. I I find very often that people who've had diabetes for a very long time had different expectations and goals. And now that things have, I mean, now that technology has improved, it's hard to, to shift. And so like, I, I'm not, I mean, obviously not judging you about like having frequent lows, but I wonder why they happen. And if you're not able to, do something to stop them and, and, or, or have you tried and it hasn't worked and 
I mean, there's a lot in there, but somewhere. No, no, no. There's a lot in there and it is an incredibly valid question. And I will give you the honest truth. The reason that I have had so many lows and the reason that they've been bad is that I'm an idiot. And I will often get, and again, I use these words like often, I'm telling you three stories that sound dramatic, but keep in mind, that's over 51 years. No, no, yeah, I understand. You know, Um, but when I have had a major incident like that, it's due to ill preparation. Now I always have food on me. Mm-hmm. Always. I don't care if I'm walking across the street, I'll have something on me just in case. Yeah. That took a long time to get there. I always assumed that food was two minutes away. Okay. And so I have learned to always carry uh sugar. When I was a kid, we carried sugar cubes, but I'll carry glucose tablets or whatever I have. So now I always have something with me. Jenny told me yesterday she used to have raisins in her pockets when she was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're you're you know so you're telling a bigger story and trying to you know it's it's spread out over decades. Do you think that it was experience that made you carry stuff with you nowadays, or was it maturity? Like, were you resistant to like? Did it did it? Uh, you don't seem like the kind of person who would just be like, I'm not carrying this because I don't want to look like I have type one. I don't see you as being. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was just absent mindedness. Again, I don't think of myself as a T1D. The first thought when I think about myself is not I'm a diabetic Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's just part of my life. So unfortunately, in the past, when I was younger, again, using that example, I always thought food would be two minutes away. And now I've just learned, you know, you wake up on the sidewalk a couple of times and you're like, eh, maybe it's time to start carrying a power bar. <laughs> uh, so it just makes life a little bit easier. What are your A1C goals right now? Like, what do you shoot for? Well, I mean, obviously we all want to be at five, five, but that's not happening right now. I'm currently at about seven. Now I spent a lot of my life a lot higher than that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking to get at to now would be six and that would be perfect for me. But I, I know my limitations and I think I would be okay with six, five. What do you think stops it from being a six? The the lifetime of non-discipline, really. I am late to the game in treating it seriously. When you are... And when I say seriously, I've always been aware of the effects. I'm not saying that I didn't think it mattered. What I mean is when you're young, you're going to live forever and you're Superman. Mm. And it's only when you get a little bit older and you look back and you see how bad your dad was the last nine years of your life that you realize you're mortal and you realize, oh, oh, I need to pick up my game. Yeah. So th- that's where it, it is for me. Sort of like no one bag of potato chips feels like it's going to be the end of your health. It's just it's the culmination and you don't keep track of the culminating happening. Um, OK, so do you, I, I guess this is I've been wondering this since we started talking, really. like, How did you find me? Do you listen to the show? I do listen to the show, and uh, to tell you quite frankly, one of my very good 
lifelong diabetic friends was a guest on your show. Oh, okay. Are you able to say who it is? I can say I, uh, his name is Thomas Casey and, uh, Tom is a really good friend of mine. And, uh, he was, I think he recorded with you sometime maybe this summer. I'm not certain. Oh, so it's possible his episode's not even up yet. I don't think it has aired yet. Oh, no kidding. So he told you about the show and because it's interesting that, well, it's not, I guess I'm wrong. I'm about to say something about my own podcast. It's not right. But I, 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 well, I think the show, I think of the show as management related in my mind, but I think it's as much, if not more community oriented than that, honestly. So you, I'm guessing, enjoy hearing the stories from people more than you would say, go back and listen to like the pro tip episodes about management. Is that right? Exactly. And so you're aware too, I had heard the podcast before Before. I had heard it. I I don't know. I'd I'd probably listened to three or four episodes and because I had mentioned it to him and that's when he told me that he was going to be a guest. Oh, no kidding. I was not a religious listener, but after he talked to me about it, that was when I submitted you the email just saying I had a pretty unique experience uh, involving law enforcement. Yeah, no, you certainly did. I mean, your experience in general is unique. It's not, I mean, if you don't tell the story about law enforcement, to be honest with you, I still think you're, you know, you're the right person to be on this, on this podcast, um, for certain. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So if I told you that I think there are 20 episodes of this podcast, that if you listen to your A1C would come into the sixes easily, would you be willing to listen to it? Or does that feel odd to you? Does it feel odd to listen to a person who, I don't have diabetes, Cutter, you know? And so, like, would that rub you the wrong way? Oh, yeah, that would be terrible. Listening to something about how to get my A1C to six. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what are you doing? No, no. You know, I mean, (laughs) no, yeah, no, no, no. I know exactly what you're saying. I will tell you that for me as a listener, and I'm certainly not speaking for everybody, I am still very intimidated by the science of T1D. I am not good with it, and I never have been. I understand the basics. But when I'm listening to something that's presented in a very clinical way, I tune out quickly. The reason that I love your podcast is because oftentimes I hear stories that I I associate with. It's just that when the tech part of it comes in, that's when I feel like a dummy, to tell you the truth. I know that's an off-color word, but... um, yeah. So if you if you have podcasts that are easy to understand and don't threaten the listener with tech speak, that would work perfectly for me. But I understand I'm in the minority. There. OK, so uh, this is super interesting to me because that's what that stuff is. I mean, so what you don't know about me, maybe interestingly enough, but it's so interesting to me that the podcast is sort of I was having this conversation with somebody the other day that it has so many episodes at this point that there are almost podcasts within the podcast. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like there are series and ideas. Like there's a way for you to listen to certain episodes and think that I'm some sort of a insulin genius. And there's a way for you to listen to certain episodes and think this guy's just having, he's just conversational, just talking to people. And if you don't intersect with all of it, you wouldn't really know. So <clears throat> let me give you a tiny bit of background. I'm bad at math. Um, when my daughter was given, you know, her diagnosis, 
excuse me, I was a stay-at-home dad, and I was fairly certain I was going to kill her. And in the first couple of years, I was probably well on my way to accomplishing that. Her A1C was like, you know, in the mid-8s. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no good technology. I was using a meter and some needles, basically. Um, And I began to write a blog in 2007, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I know about this. Okay, and so, and then... I started building ideas and one day I just was like, well, I have a system here. Like it's not, I haven't quantified it at all, but I know there are steps that I take every day and they lead to these outcomes as I got her, her eight to a seven or seven to a six or six into the fives. Like, you know, and then one day I was just like, I started writing about them kind of to clarify them for myself, I think. And then the podcast began in 2015 and it, by 2019, we were doing these things called uh, pro tip episodes where me and my friend Jenny, uh, who's had diabetes, like I said earlier, for 33 years, she helped me take all the the ideas that I had kind of figured my way through over the years. And I said to her, I'm like, I want to put each idea into an episode. And I chose her because she's just she thinks about diabetes the way I do, like the management of it the way I do, but she comes from a different perspective. She's got type one for decades. She's a nutritionist. She's a, a, um, an, uh, a diabetes nurse practitioner. Like, you know, she has a, a, she has that kind of technical vibe, but nothing about the way she talks about it is technical. And I have no ability oh. to speak about it technically. Like cut her seriously. I make the same joke over and over again. I don't know what post I can't even say that word. Uh, Post prandial, like whatever that word is that your endocrinologist throws at you about your blood sugars after you've eaten or whatever the hell it means. I can't say it. I couldn't define it for you. And my daughter's A1C is between 5'2 and 6'2 for eight years. Wait, so you mean the terms that my endo gives me that I nod my head like I know what she's saying? Yes. Like when they say that the glycemic load and the glycemic (laughs) index of your food is very important and you're like, oh, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like, like, lady, lady, 30 years ago, I wanted to be dopey. All right. I'm not following you. (laughs) So I I would tell you that if you listen to those ProTip episodes and your A1C doesn't end up in the sixes, Based on just the conversation I'm having with you today, I'd be surprised by that. And I bet. Oh, you, geez, that's great. I bet you would literally you. happen in three months. Uh, let me tell you, I saw the clip or or the the episode. I don't know what when your daughter had her low, and boy, that was you, you had a video where you treated her at a really, really, really young age when she was low, correct? Oh my gosh, that's from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, and let me tell you something. I want to thank you for that in a very odd way because my parents got divorced when I was six. And so they were still married, but my dad worked during the day. And I had never thought about what a challenge that must have been on my mom when I was a, a little kid and I was your daughter's age. And that made me give her a call and just say, hey, thank you. I always took it for granted. So being that you had to deal with that, that that says a lot. And I'm not praising you to praise you. I'm saying it says a lot about you 
and my mom and any parent out there that has to deal with something like that with how do you deal with that with a three-year-old? It must just tear your heart out. So thank you for putting in that time. It really does rip at you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't even know where to find that video <clears throat> at this yeah, point, <laughs> but um, hold on one second. <clears throat> so dry in here. Um, so what had happened was she had had a seizure and from a low blood sugar. And one day we had a video camera set up for something completely different. And she just started talking about the seizure and I just let her go. And it, her descriptions were really interesting. Um, my eyes saw colors cause she was really little. I felt like a monster. I think that's cause she was she grunting. She couldn't speak anymore. It was just interesting to hear her pick through what she could make sense of from that experience. And like I said, honestly, there was just a video camera there and she started talking about it. And I just pushed record. Uh, it was Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I have to honestly tell you all I was thinking. And in the video that I watch, I don't know if it's the same one. It, are you trying to you offering her pancakes or something? Oh, maybe that's a different one. I think it's a different one yeah. because she's actually having the low and you are trying to treat her with it, uh, treat her through it, I should say. You are thinking, and yeah. I, I think you might have gotten you tried to get her to eat pancakes or maple syrup, something to and she didn't want any part of anything like a diabetic often gets when they're super low. Yeah. And you were really, really, really super great about it. And then you did get her through it. And you're doing, I think in my, if my memory is correct, you were doing a blood while you were feeding her. And, and it was a, you know, it's a juggling act for moms and dads. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that the, uh, trying to like get her to eat and test her blood sugar at the same time, because you're testing her blood sugar, just trying to like back then without all the technology, you're just looking for any indication that this is either holding tight or moving in your direction or going the wrong way and needing, and you need more because even in those panic situations, I was still trying to be cognizant of not over correcting her because it's so hard to even fathom starting over again and just, you know, like turning this low into a high. And then this is all going to happen again. So you're trying not to let her die and you're trying not to make her blood sugar 300 at the same time with no, I mean the meter I used to have, I mean, it's like I came out of a bubblegum machine. You know what I mean? It's, just, <laughs> it's probably crap. You know, um, and and you're just like, oh, you know, whatever the number is. You test, you're like, you know, 48. And the next one, like three seconds late. You know, you try so hard to wait a couple of minutes because the anxiety is crazy. And then you test again, you're like 52. Like, oh, is that? Okay, good. You, you, you know, like now I'll wait four minutes before I check again. Like you, you'd... You know, you check a blood sugar five, six times in the middle of a low just to make sure. I mean, I don't know. Like, I haven't tried the inhalable insulin, but I'll tell you right now, that CGM for my money is the best thing that's ever happened. So, um, and yeah, and it's, and just to backtrack a, a little bit, when I was a kid, you talked about all the advances we've made over the years. When I, I was probably, I don't know, I was probably 12 or something. Uh, and I said to my dad, I had just come from diabetic summer camp. And I said, oh, this is amazing technology being what it is. I think it was 1980. And oh man, they're probably going to find a cure for this in the next 10 years. And my dad just kind of grinned at me and I'm like, what's up? 
And he said, ah, they're never, they're never going to find a cure for this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking he's crazy. He doesn't know anything. And he said, well, they make too much money treating it. And at the time I thought he was crazy and insane, but now <laughs> many, many, many years later, and I don't want to get into a political, that's not what I'm saying, sure, sure. but what I'm saying is now as an adult, I kind of understand that. The idea that he just that that feeling of why would anybody make their revenue stream go away? Right, yeah. I- exactly. And, and I love it. I love it. But I'm fortunate enough that I have access to this stuff. Not everybody does. Yeah. You know, and so that's all I, I, I mean to say about that. There's no, no, you're there, fine. I, I don't think we'll ever see a, a, a cure in, in my time. I just don't. So I have two thoughts about that. My first one is the people who are scientists that are, I'm imagining, working on curing all kinds of things, they're not in the same revenue stream as the person who's selling you, you know, the, the supplies. And so that makes me feel good. I also think that it's impossible to keep a conspiracy quiet in a world this big. So if somebody has the you know, as the formula folded up in their pocket and doesn't want to share it with us, that would surprise me too. Um, but, you know, to your point, I don't think a company that's making um, needles is going to suddenly open up an arm to try to like cure diabetes either. You know what I mean? And, and maybe they will, like maybe I'll be surprised. The bigger issue to me is, is that, you know, as a species, as humans, I don't think we've really cured very much. <laughs> you, you know, like, it's not like curing things is super simple to do. And I do think that people's idea of a cure is I take a pill or a shot and then I don't have diabetes anymore. And our technology and science is is nowhere near that. You, you know what I mean? Like, so if they come up with glucose sensing technology or, you know, I don't know, if they think they can one day insert a packet of cells inside of you that don't need... Um, immunosuppressant drugs, like, cool, like, let me say it, you know what I mean? But I, I keep it very simple. I live and think like a cure could never happen, but I'm always very hopeful about it. Like, so I don't lose my hope, but I try to stay, I mean, what I consider to be common sense reasonable about the Herculean uh, effort it would take to actually cure a disease. And you know what, that's, Thank you for making that statement because that you've just turned me. I know I sounded like Mel Gibson in conspiracy theory at the top there, and I'm not that guy, but your your that analogy that you just made is actually pretty great. And thank you for making that because you're right. It's not like they've cured 400 other diseases and they're just holding back on T1D. Uh, you are so right about that. We haven't been able to sure we you cured we cured polio because that was a right now thing that was happening i get that but w- we don't have the technology yet to cure all of these things so thank you you've put that in a great new perspective for me no i appreciate I pre- it's just always how i've kind of like wrapped my head around it i here's a short list just from a google search uh the google search diseases cured by humans uh, it comes up and says successfully eradicated human diseases, smallpox. Um, wow, poliomyelitis caused by wild poliovirus types two and three. So good luck. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Polio, dracunculiasis, yaws, malaria, 
what the heck is this one? Yeah. DR. I mean, listen, this got maybe nothing to do with what we're talking about, but if we don't try to figure out what D-R-A-C-U-N-C-U-L-I-A-S-I-S is. Uh, why, why are you so dumb? Everybody I, knows that that's your advantage. Yeah, so um, even the way they break it down and make it easier is no help. So the word, <laughs> the word okay. Let's just say whatever Dracula, let's call it Dracula. Dracula, (laughs) also called guinea worm disease, is a parasite infection by the guinea worm. Dracula mendinis, oh my God. A person becomes infected from drinking water that contains water fleas infected with guinea worm larva and ingest it. Okay, this is one of the things that we've eradicated. Like, they didn't, you know, smallpox. It, they didn't go into your body and and because here's the problem, right? You have a two-step issue. You think of, and most people think top line, my pancreas isn't making insulin. That's my problem. Your problem is, is that your autoimmune system killed, you know, or shut down your yeah. pancreas. To, didn't kill it. It's still doing a lot of things, actually. It's just not making insulin. And can you, A, turn that production back on and, B, stop your body from just reattacking it again? Like, these are not... Like, oh, there's a virus and we can make a, you know, a vaccine to stop it from making you sick. Or, you know, we have smallpox here and and we know how to like it's it just it's not the same thing. Um, And so I don't know. And I if you ask me, like, just if you put me in a bar and we had fifty dollars and you put it in the middle of the bar and you're like, there's a right answer to this. Are they going to cure diabetes or not? I'd bet no, you, you know, like, like if you put me in that position, um, if you asked me to, you know, give up $50 to feel hopeful for my whole life, I, I, I could do that too. Um, it's just a very, it's a very interesting, what's interesting is what we consider a cure versus what the reasonable possibility is to, to do that with current technology. And that's, you know, there's a gentleman that was on here this year whose company is trying to make a drug, um, just a vaccine for hand, foot, mouth disease. Uh, you know, hand, foot, mouth, it's, uh, hold on a second. My daughter had this right before she was diagnosed. So it's a very common, they commonly call it hand, foot, mouth. And you get these little spots all over you, um, you know, hand, a rash on your hands and feet and mouth. But for some reason, a lot of people are diagnosed with diabetes afterwards. So we've always just kind of simply thought of it as my daughter got this this thing and then her body got confused and, you know, attacked her pancreas instead of the hand, foot, mouth. And what for some reason, I can't think. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. I can't for for the life of me. Oh, God, this word that I know so well just fell out of my head. It's called it's Coxsackie virus. So this guy said, the guy said, look, if so many people's um, diagnosis precedes Coxsackie virus, what if we could make a vaccine for Coxsackie virus? Well, if fewer people got Coxsackie, then stands the reason that fewer people might develop type 1 diabetes. Like, that's the kind of, like, thinking that I'm encouraged by, you know. Oh, and that's what a, that's a scientific guy. That's yeah. a uh, thought. I mean, that's, that's wonderful that yeah, and I think again, I, I'm regretting everything that I said earlier. You I didn't. I don't ever mean it as a big conspiracy to hurt people. I don't mean it that way. I just mean 
from a profit center. It certainly doesn't hurt you to have this thing to treat. Um, but yeah. when, when I hear about that, all of the scientific people that are, I think they would all love to who doesn't want to help people, mm. you know, that's what I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a bigger thing in there. Like there are some people who are researchers and they just wanted to research for the rest of their life. They're not, you know, there's, there's all kinds of aspects of this conversation that you can't have in just an hour, honestly. But I mean, I take your point. It's not wrong. If I make finger fingernail cutters, I, I'm not going to want to come up with a shot that makes people's fingernails stop growing, you know, like makes <laughs> someone else might want to do that, but that's not going to be my main focus. And, and there's, I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I would never, you know, if you think about insulin pumps, uh, glucose sensing technology, better insulin, you know, geez, sharper needles, you, you know what I mean? Needles that can be disposed of all of these things make people's lives better if they use insulin. So I'm glad it exists. I, you know, sometimes you, you hear people say like, oh, that company makes too much money. And I was like, look, you may be right. That's a different conversation. I'm happy they exist. Whatever keeps them getting up and going to work in the morning is good with me. You, you know what I mean? Like, I just want, I want to see what they come up with next. Yeah, I'm a bit after of a, this inhalable insulin. I I honestly believe in magic now. Yeah. It, it's crazy. No yeah. kidding. I, I I can't I can't agree with you enough. Like we're just at. I don't know how to put it. Like it feels like we're just at the precipice of all this. Like the diabetes is still a very new type one diabetes is still a very new thing. I mean, honestly, Cutter, you're born in seventy one. No, sixty eight. Excuse me, sixty eight. The math on this, just vaguely, if you were born in 1920, you're probably dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, yeah. You, know, you don't make it at all because there's no insulin. So that's only 100 years ago now. It, I, 100, I'm 100% right. So 2021 is the 100-year anniversary oh, of insulin. Yeah, you're right. Am I right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, 105 years ago, people were born, they, they developed type 1 diabetes, and then they were gone. And I think the Egyptians used to call it, um, they had some phrase that meant that you urinated yourself to death. That's that, that's, oh, wow. they, there's historians who think that that was type one diabetes. The idea that people used to urinate themselves to death. Cause that's the only cause and effect they could see back then. Anyway, it doesn't help. Well, did they get help though? Did they get help from the UFOs? No, the UFOs did not help. And they just kept building the pyramids and they didn't even stop to help. <laughs> <laughs> bastards yeah yeah i mean you're there and you're flying saucer and you can't just be a little helpful i mean you just use the laser gun they gave dr spock right and it just, <laughs> or no bones it was bones damn it i ruined my own analogy um, <laughs> so good yeah you just wave it over top of them and make their pancreas work again but no 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 they were busy building a pyramid <laughs> i'll tell you right now i could spend the rest of my life being amazed that i mean how would a human being build cut that stone even you know what I mean? How do you cut the stone? How do you move it? How do you stack it? How do you it's just, it's, you know, people are, um, I mean, I mean, maybe that's the message really is that if, if human beings can, without tools that we would think of as anywhere near modern could fashion a stone into a certain shape and stack it up into a pyramid, maybe we can figure out how to cure a disease one day. I just think it's going to take more time than, you know, a person in this moment would care to think. That's Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I know that we're, we're past the hour, but let me just say that for me as somebody that's, and thank you very much. Hold on. Let me give you a beat for me. I just want to wrap it up with saying 
thank you very much for giving me this platform to talk to you. I I never get the chance to talk about this stuff and it's really pretty wonderful. And I have, I have always said from my perspective, I won the lottery when diagnosed. And I always say too, if you're going to pick a disease to have to live with, I don't know if there's a better one to pick than T1D. The problems that can happen to you are pretty horrendous. I I saw my dad go through a really, really, really rough nine years. But now we know that these things happen and we can avoid them from happening and live completely normal lives. So as far as getting a disease goes, I think that T1D, from my perspective, is is the number one, is the one to get that if you're going to get anything. It's the best time in the human history to have type 1 diabetes, which awesome. Not saying, it's not saying a whole lot, but <laughs> but it really is. And I appreciate your perspective. I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll, and I'll let you go, Cutter, that um, I, I would rather talk to you or someone like you than any person who, I don't know, makes their living talking about diabetes or, you know, works somewhere. Or I, I don't know. I just think there's more value in in letting you just unfold and unpack your story, especially as you've just kind of acknowledged that it's not something that it's not something where there are a lot of places to do something like that. And you have specific thoughts and perspectives that are valuable for other people living with type one to hear. I think they're valuable for people who need insulin to hear, honestly. But, um, but, but that is um, maybe one of the the points of pride I have about the podcast is not that it just it exists, but that it reaches so far and wide and allows your story from wherever you're sitting right now to be something that anyone can access. Um, you know, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and do all this. Oh no, I I appreciate being able to do it. And thank you so, so much for that. And if, if you're ever bored or whatever, do not hesitate to uh, send an email or whatever. Thank you. Hey, if you want to be on again, book now and I can have you on seven months. from <laughs> My schedule is, I'm just kidding. My schedule is a mess. I just had somebody say to me, um, I just took an, uh, I mean, it's December now, 2021. And I just had somebody book in September of 2022. I think that was like the next availability I had. So I had to move. I was originally scheduled with you in July and I had to cancel it due to a work obligation. And the next available window was today. (laughs) So yeah, it's amazing that you have the amount of, let let me ask you, I don't want to bore you, but this has become such a big deal for you. I imagine. Do you, you must have times where you're like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do another one. Well, how do you deal with that? Oh, I like to talk, um, and I find people very interesting. So the recordings are not – I've never had an issue making a recording. Even when – like, I've gotten on with people who I don't like – I wouldn't personally get on with, and I still have a great time talking to them. There are moments when the editing becomes arduous. Um, that's the part that sometimes can, like – get me but people are like well pay somebody to do the editing well first of all that's easy for you to say it's expensive and um you know but also i i think there's in this like an aesthetic that i have like i i think part of the reason why the podcast works is because of the way i envision it and i don't know that i could teach that to someone else so 
there are times when I will, so, so to give you an idea, the, the podcast comes out four times a week. So I record at least three times a week. And then in my off moments, like, so I record your episode today, your episode will go onto a hard drive. It'll be backed up redundancy about a thousand times. So I can't lose it. And then I'm going to go eat breakfast or lunch or whatever time it is. And then I'll come back up here today and I will listen through as many episodes as I can get through today, taking out noise and some people click their tongues after every sentence, like stuff like that, that I find irritating that I wouldn't want to listen to. I clean it up for sound. I don't clean them up for content. I don't think I've ever chopped anything out of one of these episodes, you know, with the, you know, like every once in a while, somebody will say something, um, and they're like, wow, that's too personal. I don't put that in there. But it's not like they egregiously say something crazy. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to have this person be known as, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, no one's ever come out for the Nazi party in the middle of it. And then I've been like, no, 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 we'll just chop, <laughs> we'll just chop that part out. Like that stuff like that doesn't happen is what I'm saying. Um, and then well, for people that don't know that have never edited anything in audio, that's a real simple process that only takes about 15 seconds, right? Oh, sure. No. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it takes longer to edit the show than it does to record it. Yeah. And then I have to put it aside again until I'm ready to put it up. So I basically I, I have a I probably have about 60 raw edited files. I try to have 10 that are edited down for like sound. And then I have to come back every week and put in the ads and the bumpers and all of that into the edited ones. Then I have to move them online, set them up so that when you open up your app, they have a title and that stuff all it's just, it's painful. Um, then I have to support it with social media and, um, and, and the whole time I'm still making more. So while I'm talking to you, I'm editing shows that I recorded six months ago and it's uh, I, I don't dislike any of it. I really do. It's a, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, think about it. Like I make a living, I help people and I enjoy this. Yeah. Be, and that's the key right yeah, there yeah. is that you enjoy it because if, you know, it's an old saying and it sounds like a cliche, but if you love what you're doing, it's not work. And what you were saying about hiring an editor, an editor doesn't have the feel for the pieces that you do because it's a personal thing for you. So I applaud you for that. That's You're that's nice. why they come out good. I, I appreciate that. In my mind, each episode is a narrative. And when you pile them all together into the podcast, there's a narrative there as well. Um you know, so I think of however many episodes there are now, I think, I think maybe 594 went up today, like number 594. <sighs> and um, I think of them almost as an organism. Honestly, I think the episodes are pieces of a bigger thing and that you can enjoy them um, a la carte. But if you listen to all of them, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think if somebody started listening to this podcast at number one and somehow listened to all through 594 of them, I think their A1C is in the fives. I think their stress is lower. I think the amount of time they think about diabetes goes down. And I think their mental health around it would be calm. And, or at least you'd have that possibility at the very least. And so I'm, that's my goal and like my big overarching goal. 
I'm proud of it. Well, I'll tell you, where can I find you social media wise? Uh, there is a private Facebook group that has 18,000 listeners in it. It's called Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. That's where you'll find me mostly. Uh, there's a public group where I just post new episodes and I do kind of the same thing on Instagram. I'm not very active there. Um, although there's a fairly big following for the podcast on Instagram, but I just kind of, I don't know, I pop in once in a while. You're, you're more likely to see a picture of like a flower that I see outside than something about diabetes. Um, but yeah, I think that Facebook group is the place to be. I'm astonished by how unfacebook my Facebook group is. And, uh, I think that has something to do with the fact that it is mostly stocked with people who listen to the podcast. Um, you know, you, you, it grows and people come in from the outside who are used to being, you know, not kind to people um, or judgmental or whatever. And those people either see that this place is not for them and leave, or I've seen a lot of people start off kind of gruff and end up being really important parts of the, of the group. So um, I think everybody, I think everybody deserves the chance to have a conversation with another person living their life like them. And maybe just not everybody's ready to have it right away. So it takes, it takes some compassion and patience on the side of people who are already in that place to help other people get there. And I, I don't know, like, I, I can't believe I'm saying that I think my Facebook page is a, an accomplishment, but it actually, I do. So there you go. Listen, if you have 18,000 people going there, that's not your mom and your best friend from high school. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that's reaching people. So you're doing a great job. And uh, in closing, I would just say, I think maybe, and if you already have, I apologize. Maybe if you put up a posting there, and I'm certainly going to go and join right after this. If you have those 10 videos or, or uh, I'm sorry, podcasts that you recommend to lower your A1C, I, I would certainly love reading something like that. It's all there, Cutter. Don't worry. There oh, are, great. There are great. lists and there is a wonderful woman named Isabel who helps me with the podcast uh, in Facebook and she's got lists and graphics and she's she's done way more online with my information than I ever had the time to. So you'll find it when you get there. It's called juice box podcast, type one diabetes. You'll answer a couple of questions just to prove you're a real person. and It'll let you through. Really awesome. And to anybody out there that is a T1D that is afraid of coming on this show because of your lack of education about diabetes, like I often feel, I can tell you that was my biggest hurdle coming into this episode today. And it went away after about 30 seconds. So don't be afraid here. It's a good time. I appreciate that, man, very much. I hope you have a great day. You too. You are fantastic, no, sir. Back at you. I just adore Cutter, and I hope you enjoyed him as well. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Cutter, and sharing your story with us. Thanks also to Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5. Head over to Omnipod.com forward slash Juicebox. Or use the links in the show notes or the ones at Juiceboxpodcast.com right now. Go, go, go. And don't forget that you deserve an accurate blood glucose meter. Contournext.com forward slash Juicebox. It's the easiest decision you're going to make today is to get the contour next month. While you're out on that internet, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Take the survey. Fewer than 10 minutes. Help me out. Help people with type 1 diabetes.
If you're enjoying the podcast, please, please, please subscribe or follow in a podcast app like Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, audio apps. Go into it, search the show up, and then hit follow or subscribe, depending on what the options are in the app you're listening in. There's a ton of other podcast apps, like say you're like one of those people that's like, but Scott, I listen in Overcast. It's fine with me. Listen wherever you want. By the way, podcast apps should be free. You shouldn't have to pay for them. But following and subscribing, that's the key to supporting the show. And then if you want to go a little farther, tell someone else about it. That's really how the show grows. And speaking about growing, here's a little something you might not know. (laughs) You want to know something cool? Hold on, I'm going to tell you something cool. You want one second. Let me pull up the numbers so you can see it. And then we're going to look up the word duper. Okay, so when I tell you to share the show with somebody if you're enjoying it, here's why. Because it grows exponentially when that happens. And if you need proof, here's some proof. If 2022 continues on at the pace it's at, there will be more downloads or streams. Streaming, and people get confused sometimes. Whether you download the show into your app or if you stream it through the app, it's the same thing. A listen, let's call it. There will be more listens inside of the calendar year 2022 than the show had in its complete history prior to 2022. So be clear about what I'm saying. Because of the way you guys listen and share, 2022 should have more listens than 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21 combined. This year, stronger than the previous seven years combined. And make no mistake why that is. It's because you listen, you subscribe, and you share. For that, you have my utmost uh, gratitude and thanks. I really do appreciate it. Now uh, let's figure out about duper. Now, turns out duper is a real word, but it says a person who deceives or tricks someone. So that's not what we mean. So now we go down to super duper at Webster's. Okay. Definition of super duper of the greatest excellence, size, effectiveness, or impressiveness. Now, here's the thing. Does no one know what super duper means? Does it have to be? I mean, I was just kidding earlier about it being a technical term, but oh, oh, real quick before I go, let's find out how the, um, <clears throat> give him a little shout out here. How does uh, the dictionary say super duper? You ready? Super duper. Hold on. Super duper. It's, it sounds like it's saying pooper duper. Super duper. Why is it doing that? Pooper duper, super duper. Super duper. It's still saying pooper duper. All right, hold on a second. Oh, God, if I do this for five more minutes, I'm going to call this episode pooper duper. Super duper. That's better. The Merriam-Webster website did a good job with it. The, the, the other one is Google. Listen to what Google says. Super duper. That time it got it right. Interesting. Okay, hold on. So Google. Super duper. Oh, there it did it again. Pooper duper. And then Merriam-Webster. What do you mean subscribe? I'm not subscribing. Stop it. I'm not subscribing. After I just asked you guys to subscribe to the podcast, I'm like, I ain't subscribing to crap. Hold on a second. <laughs> this is Webster's. Super duper. I don't know. Which one do you like better? I wonder if there's other ones. Here's a Cambridge Dictionary. Think it'll be British? Super duper. Oh, wait, that was the U.S. version. Oh, it does have a U.K. version. Super duper. Ah, super duper. Let's do that one again. Super duper. This is interesting. Why do they all have... Here's Collins Dictionary. Super duper. 
Ooh, that sounded like a bad guy in like a uh, like a Marvel movie. Super duper. What does super duper mean? Yourdictionary.com. Nope. Oh. Super duper. <laughs> uh, this podcast is over, by the way. You can stop whenever you want. Super duper. That was Wiktionary, which I didn't know was a thing, but I'm not stopping. Now, Idioms, the free dictionary. No. Oh. Spend some money, Idioms. Get yourself a pronunciation. Macmillan Dictionary. You guys know dictionaries used to be books, right? Uh, Here we go. Super duper. That was upbeat. One more time for that one. Super duper. Yeah, that was super duper, Macmillan. Uh, I'm going to the second page of results because I'm not done yet. Uh, The Urban Dictionary. You know it means something totally dirty and nasty in the Urban Dictionary. Oh, no, it doesn't. But the description is dirty. Okay, hold on a second. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no little, uh, little talky button. Talky button. <laughs> talky button. That's actually what came up in my head. Thesaurus.com. Want to hear some uh, synonyms for super duper? We're way off the track by now, but let's not stop. Attractive, valuable, wonderful, commendable, excellent, exquisite, great, laudable, praiseworthy, unreal. Wow, look at that. Super duper. All this because I like the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. And by the way, people at Contour, this is basically an ad right now. So, I mean, you're welcome. Uh, What else here? Dictionary.reverso.net. That can't be a real thing. What does that mean? Oh, I see. You could, um, it'll like swap it to different languages. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, huh. I don't know if I have much use for that, but that's okay. Um, hold on. Is there something online that can just talk like, uh, let's see, make my words audio. Well, that's the worst Google ever, but speechify it's an ad. So careful. So if I, let's see, it says paste. Um, okay. Oh, what do I usually say at the end of the episode? Um, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the juice box podcast. Ready? Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. We should make this thing curse before we go. Hold on a second. It's just saying. It's just saying. <laughs> Hold on a second. Why won't it say the whole thing? <laughs> it won't. Say, it won't say the whole thing. I put. Hold on, let's edit it and try again. Here. <laughs> okay, here. Super duper motherfucker. There we go.